Amen. All right. Get the Lord a hand. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, I have several helpers that are going to help me read God's Word this morning. So Luke, come on up here. And then Zane, stand next to him for me. And then Caitlin. And then Eliana. Here, Luke, come on over here next to me, bud. Good job. And then Caitlin, then Eliana. And then Alex, right there. And then Nathan. And then Isaiah. And then Sophia. Good deal. Where's Isaiah at? See, there he is. Come on down here. All right. So, you guys ready to read God's word for us? This is in honor of all our moms this morning as we read the Word of God. So let me give you this microphone right here. There we go. And all right, there you go, Luke. Have at he, it. He is like the ships of the mer- wait, what? Merchant. merchant. He brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. And provide food for her household and um, portions. portions for her maidens. Very good. All right. Good job. All right, Zane, you're up. She cans- considers a filed field, field uh, and buys it with her the front fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She brings dresses dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Good job. Right, step over here for me, because we're going to get a line going. She perceives that her merchant, merchandise is profitable, and her lamp does not go at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Good job. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow. For her household, for all her household, are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine, linen and purple. Her husband is known known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Good job. That one? Yeah. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Good job. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Good job. Sophia. 
Did I skip it? Sorry. Her children rise up and are call, and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Okay. All right. And we're all going to read. We're all going to read this last verse together. Let's do it, Lord's house, and all together. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Amen. This is God's word. All right. Good job, kids. You may be seated. All right. And so, kids, fourth grade and younger, now you can be dismissed to the children's service. Fifth and sixth grade can join them if you want to, or you can stay in here with your parents. It's your mom and dad's choice on that one there. All right. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are watching online. I got three points to my message this morning. Most of it's going to come from Proverbs 31. First and foremost is a mother should be honored. A mother should be honored. Number two, a mother should be honorable. And number three, a mother should honor God. A mother should be honored, a mother should be honorable, and a mother should honor God. Let's start with the first one here. A mother should be honored. This goes right back to the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, which includes the commandment to honor your father and mother. You know what's interesting about that word there? It's not obey your father and mother, although that could be included if you're that age. It's honor your father and mother. So that means when you're an adult and you, are, you have left the mother and father and you've cleaved to your wife or your husband and you become a new household, guess what? You still honor father and mother. Amen. And I even believe that if your mother and father are deceased, you still honor them in the way you talk about them and in the way you respect what they've taught you and how that God used them. And you know what? There's not one person in this room who has a perfect mom. Or a, you may think so, okay, but, or, or a perfect dad. But you know what? You have the one that was perfect for you that God, in his wisdom and in his providence, chose to give you. If we believe in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, then we believe that the parents God gave you, he's working together for good. It doesn't mean that they were good in all cases, but he can took, even if your parents treated you wrongly, God can take what man meant for evil and use it for good. Amen? Amen? God can do all that. So we're supposed to honor our father and mother. And so here's how you can obey or, and honor your mother. Number one, if you are living in her household, you should do it by obeying her. You should do it by obeying her. Now, Proverbs 1.18 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. You know, I, um, my mom was not a believer. My mom grew up in a, in a religion that taught her if she was good, she'd go to heaven. And we went to church, maybe Easter and Christmas only, maybe. And so I had very little Bible. But I really still believe that God used the mom that I had to teach me things about kindness. Uh, in many ways, I feel like I'm more like my mom than my dad, which is actually probably a good thing. Because if you met my mom, how many of you remember the show All in the Family? Remember the show All in the Family? No joke, my mom was Edith Bunker. She was exactly like either just running around the house, a little dingy, maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed, but she was the most giving, sacrificial person you'd ever want to meet. She was always, my mom was the first one up in the morning, cooking breakfast, cleaning, doing stuff, last one to go to bed at night. I remember many a night, my mom on the couch folding towels like at midnight and falling asleep like on the towels in front of her and going, oh. 
And I'd wake up and say, Mom, 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 go to the bed. She goes, no, no, I got more work to do. I got more work to do. And she did that all the time. And I am so thankful for my mom's instructions that, that she gave me. And if you are going to be an obedient child living in your parents' household, you need to follow your mother's instructions and honor her by the way you obey her. The second thing is we, we honor her by making her proud. Honor your mom by making her proud. Proverbs 23, 24 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who fathers, and the word father here is in a general neutral means to parent. Parents, a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. So again, for those of you living in your mom's household, when you grow up, is your mom going to be like, oh man, they turned out so good, and they rejoice in the way you turned out, or they're going to be like disappointed. And notice what the connection is. Her who bore you. <laughs> if you, and it's not like she bored you to tears. It means she gave birth to you, okay? If you think about all that your mom did and all the pain that she went through to bring you into this world, that alone should make you respect and obey your mom and make your mom proud of you. Just think about the pain and the sacrifice that she went through to bring you into this world. And then... Um, Proverbs 10.1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. They say that a mom is only as happy as her least happy child. Because, you know, if you have 10 kids, but you got one that's miserable, guess what? You're always sympathizing and wishing that one could, could find the joy of the Lord and be happy. And then, you know, whether that's a fault or not, it just, that's the motherly tendency. We want to take care of the one. And, that, and it's somewhat biblical, because what, what did Jesus say the shepherd did? He left the 99 to go after the one that's astray. And we feel that way for our wayward children. We wish that they would um, be able to experience the joy of the Lord as we do. And the next thing is, you should honor your mom by telling her. It's one thing to obey. It's one thing to make her proud. But Besides Mother's Day, you should often tell your mom how much you love her, how much you appreciate her. And I don't care if you're four or 44, you need to tell your mom how much you love her and how much you appreciate what she has done for you. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now just picture, think about apples made out of solid gold and then they're set on a tray of pure silver. You're talking about something pretty valuable there, right? And yet Solomon in his wisdom says that when you tell your mom, I love you, mom, and I really appreciate all you've done for me, that's valuable. As the MasterCard says, that's priceless. That, that's something that, that's more valuable than gold or silver. You, Proverbs 30, 11 says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There's a type of person that their natural tendency is not to say thank you, to not to bless their mom, not to bless their father. And if that's you, you're going to have to overcome that natural tendency and let the Holy Spirit of God fill you to where you can speak those words to your mom and to, and to tell her how much you love her. You should also honor your mother by caring for her when she's older. You know, uh, several years ago when we were living in Lake Jackson, we decided that one Easter, instead of doing the Easter egg hunt and the baskets and all those things like that, we were going to go to a nursing home and take Easter presents and, and candy and things like that to the, to the women and the, the men in the nursing home. And so we got together like socks and toiletries and things that older people would appreciate when they're living in a retirement center. And uh, we went in and we talked to this one lady for a long time. And, uh, and 
I asked her if she had had any visitors that day, and she said no. I said, well, do you have children? She said, yes, I have three. And she said, I said, oh, so they live far away? And she said, no, they just don't come and see me. And here it was, Easter Sunday, and none of her kids. And I said, well, when's the last time you saw your kids? She said, I think my son came about a year and a half ago. I'm like, how sad that, and I don't care if she was the worst mom in the world, which I would have a hard time believing that this lady was so sweet, I can't imagine her hurting anybody. But you, you, you need to honor your father and your mother, especially your mother on Mother's Day. And even if you don't think they deserve it, isn't that what God's love is about? When we love those who don't deserve it? Yeah. Proverbs 23, 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, if you notice a lot of these parallels, it, it, these, it, Proverbs, it talks about father, mother, father, mother. And we've learned enough about a chiastic structure that there's a parallel here. It's using them interchangeably. So it could easily say, listen to your mother who gave you life and don't despise your father when he's old. They both work together to give you life and it's just using them together. And so your mother gave you life and don't despise her when she is old. Now think about that word, despise. Some of you are at the age where you're seeing the role reversal, where you, you were the child and they're the parent and now you're seeing this. And it may be tough for you. It may be very difficult, especially if your parent is suffering from dementia or suffering from Alzheimer's or just suffering from just being old and grumpy. Who knows what it may be? But you know what? Don't despise them. Don't get frustrated with them. Just love them through it. Because remember, when you were a baby and crying at three in the morning, she didn't complain and she changed your diaper and she fed you. So when they're 84 years old and they're not remembering things and they need to change their diaper, don't despise them. Don't, 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 it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But Solomon's warning you that, hey, there might be that tendency to really be like, oh, my parents get on my nerves. I wish they would just mind their own business, whatever. You got your list, right? But remember, when you were four and younger, how, what a pain in the butt you were, okay? So just remember that the roles reverse. It's going to come. And what's sad is we have a society now in America where it's like you delegate the care of your parents to the government. Let them take care of them. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go golfing. I'm going to do whatever I do. Let somebody else take care of my parents. You, now, I'm not saying you can't put your parents in a nursing home or whatever, but it's still your responsibility to love and to care for them. And definitely don't despise them when they get old. A mother should, second, not only should you honor your mother, but moms, it says a, a, a mother should be honorable. See, there's, there's, John Maxwell wrote a book called the Level, uh, Developing the Leader Within You. And he talks about the five levels of leadership. And I'm going to take that and apply, apply it, the same principles, because they, they definitely easily transfer to the five levels of honor. Number one on the five levels of honor is that you honor your mom just simply because of her position. Okay? You may not have liked President Trump. You may not like President Biden. But in either case, you respect them because of their position. Okay? If I was to meet President Biden, I would say, Hello, President Biden. I would respect him. I would talk nice about him. And I, you, the Bible says we're not supposed to talk trash about our presidents. We're supposed to do what for them? Pray for them. Pray for them. Because of what? Because of their position. That God put them in that position, whether you like it or not. And God put your mom in her position. And whether you think she's a good mom or not, you need to honor her simply because of her position. Because God's the one who chose her position. The second level is by permission. Now, moms, if... You, yes, you should get respect because of your position. But, you should, but 
when you do a good job in your position, then your kids are now given permission to honor you even more. You know, they want that now they just not only have to honor you, they want to honor you. They've done it by permission. And then number three, let me touch that here, by production. So not only are you in the right position, but now you're doing a good job with that, but then you're also starting to produce we're godly children. You're starting to produce many things that you're doing for your children and for your family. And now they honor you even more because, wow, look what all my mom does. Not just because I have to. Not because, okay, I kind of want to. But now I really am amazed by my mom and her production, how much she does. Let's go back to what we read. And again, I realize the print's small, but I did it on purpose here because all I want you to do is see the words in color just to highlight all this mom does. She brings, she rises, she provides, she considers, she buys, she plants, she dresses, she makes, she perceives, she puts, she holds, she opens, and she reaches. I mean, this lady is a busy, godly woman, and she does a whole lot. In fact, if you read this carefully, she basically has a clothing business and a real estate business, and she's a mom at the same time. She, she's, that's pretty intimidating, isn't it, moms? I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to hold up to this woman's job. And yet, we know how much, how difficult of a job motherhood is. Larry and I joke all the time. Larry says he'd rather go to work than stay home and take care of the four kids. Because which job's harder, Larry? Staying home is the harder job. And so praise God for you moms who are able to stay home and do that very difficult job. And praise God for you who have to work and then come home and do the difficult job. It is, it's not easy dealing with kids. I, I mean, I would rather go to work than have to take care of kids. Have you met my kids? I mean, okay. Anyway, um, so... You respect her and honor her because of her position. If she does a good job, you do more so with permission. And then if she does a phenomenal job because of her production. And then personal development. You see that this woman is personally developing her children into becoming not just good kids, but godly kids. And she's developing the women around her. She's personally discipling and, and mentoring younger women or even peers to be godly women. And you see this personal development of people all around her. That people are saying, I am a more godly person because of her. That, that's the level you want to be at, mom. And then when you do that for a lifetime, you develop a level of personhood to where you are just like, oh, have you heard of so-and-so? She's amazing. Have you heard of this lady? She's such a godly lady and she's done a great job raising her kids and she does so, so much for the Lord and on and on. And it's like her name begins to precede her to where she is just known in the community, known in her neighborhood, known in her church. In, um, in Proverbs 31, 25, it says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She's, she's well prepared for the disasters. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Look at all these character traits here. You see, earlier it was talking about all that she does. This is talking about all that she is. It's all the character on the inside that had produced all the works on the outside. And notice it, it talks about kindness is on her tongue. You know, it's so beautiful that God has taken a mom and a dad to put them together to put portray the complete picture of God. You see, God does portray himself as a father, but to get the full picture of what God is like, there's several times in the Bible it refers to God in a feminine sense. It refers to him, and I'm not saying God's on, he represents himself as a male, but God doesn't have to have a gender. He's everything. He's beyond gender. See, he, but he uses the man and the woman to get the complete picture. And that's why, if you notice, 
nine times out of 10, who is the kinder parent? It's the mom, you know? If, if, a, if four-year-old Johnny hurts his knee, skins his knee on the sidewalk because he fell off his bike, dad says, suck it up, Junior. <laughs> mom says, oh, come here, baby. Let mommy kiss a bobo. You know, she's got the more kindness in her character. Um, there was a young man named Lee, and uh, he grew up under a mom that was not kind. In fact, she was married three times, and the second time her divorce, her husband divorced her because he was being physically abused by her. And mom, this mom would always tell Lee, I don't have time for you. Don't bother me, but don't you ever bother me while I'm working. And she would just always tell him to just go away and don't be bothered by him. And she never had time for him. She was always very harsh and critical, not only to all of her husbands, but to Lee himself. And then, so he dropped out of high school and went and joined the army. And he learned how to fire a rifle and he was good at that, but he wasn't really good at anything else. So he got a dishonorable uh, discharge and he was kicked out of the army. And then he grew up and he used, the only thing he knew how to do was fire a rifle and he shot JFK three times. Look at this story here of how harsh it was when the kindness is absent from the home. It produces evil. And kindness produces the opposite. It produces righteousness. Lee Harvey Oswald grew up to be what his mom pretty much told him all along. That he was worthless. He was evil. All the names that she called him. In, in uh in verse 27, it says, she looks well to the ways of her household. What is she looking at? Herself? This lady spends very little time in the mirror and has her eyes on other people, especially those of her own household. She's thinking about her husband. She's thinking about her children. She's thinking about her grandchildren. And she does not eat the bread of idleness. This lady is not lazy by any stretch of imagination. And because she's done all these things, her children rise up. And when they become adults, they say, bless you, mom. You're amazing. And no matter where they are in the world or in the country, they make sure they call her and say, Mom, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. And they, they rise up and they call her blessed. And her husband also, he praises her. And he, and he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You know? Now, this is intimidating. I, again, I wouldn't want to be a mom in this situation because that's a lot to live up to. But you know, through the power of Jesus Christ, we can do these things. And even when we fail, he forgives those things. Because there's no perfect dads in this room. There's no perfect moms. There's no perfect kids. We can strive to be Christ-like and to do the best we can. But Jesus Christ makes up for all the differences. But look at these things. The children rise up and call her blessed. Can you think of any better blessing than know your children appreciate what you've done for them? Third John says, I have no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. Can I tell you, moms, that there's nothing more important than raising your children, not to be just good kids, but to be godly kids. Nothing is more important than that. Man, the world's going to say there's moms out there that want their kids to be popular. And, and their life is made if their daughter is the prom queen. Or if their, their life is made if their son's the, the captain of the basketball team. Or their life is made if their son gets a scholarship and gets all kinds of scholarships and is magna cum laude in college and they just want their kid to be the, most, the smartest or the most athletic or the best looking or the most popular. Let me tell you something. Make your goal that they would be the most godly. That they would love Jesus with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. You know, we, we um, you talk about personhood. Uh, we 
Last, if you're new to Revolution, you don't know, you missed out on this lady right here. This is Laura Ward. Last year, in a car accident, we lost her. Patrick lost his wife, and Seth and Sam lost their mom. They also lost their sister in the same car accident. But you know what? We don't look at this and just go, man, poor pitiful Laura. <laughs> we don't think that at all. She's in the arms of Jesus right now, and we're thankful for the impact that she had on our life. And this is where personhood matters. Teresa say, what a, what a shame that someone so young would be taken away. Let me just tell you something. That Seth and Sam, you had more of a godly mom for 13, 14 years than some kids ever know for a lifetime. Amen. Patrick, you had so many years of marriage to a godly woman who loved Jesus than some men will ever know for a lifetime. And Revolution Church will never be the same because of Laura Ward. She, helped, she literally helped start this church from scratch. And she did to the glory of God. And, uh, you know, I had a hard time finding a picture of Laura because Laura didn't like to be in pictures. And this was a group picture and I just cropped out the other people. But it's hard. She was always that way. She just didn't want the glory. She didn't want the spotlight. She didn't like having her picture taken. She'd be embarrassed right now and, and she'd probably kick me after church for even talking about her. But that's the way she was. She wanted, she was always looking out for, for everybody else. She would see me on Sunday and she'd come up to me and she'd say, Gary, what can I do for you? And she'd say, can I pray for you? And she'd put her hand on my shoulder and she'd pray for me. I mean, she just loved the Lord in so many ways. And, and I'm not trying to set her up as an idol, but the, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. And Laura's saying, hey, moms, follow me as I follow the Lord. Was she perfect? No, not by any means. But she was an example of what God can do if we'll give our life to him. A mother should be honored. A mother should be honorable. And then number three, a mother should honor God. A mother should honor God. Proverbs 31, 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. If that's your goal in life, and, and if you watch commercials and read magazines, that's everybody's goal is to be charming and beautiful. Charming and beautiful, that's what matters most. And usually we can gauge that by the time we, how much time we spend in the mirror versus how much time we spend in God's word. And we will see that the world's values are, you should be charming and beautiful. But the Bible says those things are deceiving. There's a lot of beautiful women out there, a lot of charming women out there, but there's not a lot of godly women out there. I mean, if you happen to be, you got the bonus where you fear God and you happen to be charming and beautiful, great, <laughs> more power to you, but your first priority is to fear the Lord. In fact, you will notice this. A woman who loves God, her beauty can't help but shine through. It'll shine through the wrinkles. It'll shine through all the scars. It'll shine through everything because you can see it in her eyes and you can see it in her smile because she loves God and she worships him and she serves him. So let me ask you a question. What do you want to be known for? Sorry for the typo there. What do you want to be known for? That your kids made more money than everybody else's kids? That you are the best looking woman at the place where you work? that you're the most educated person amongst all your friends? What do you want to be known for? I hope that your desire is to know that, you'd be, that you would fear the Lord. Titus gives us a really great example of what a New Testament church ought to function like. And it says that the older women, and don't just think you have to wait to be old to do this. What it's saying is you need to be the example of this to all the younger women. You likewise are to be reverent in your behavior. You know when to joke and you know when to turn it off. 
when to worship God and when to, to just be able to be yourself and relax. And again, all those mixed together. But it, you're not, you know when to be respectful and, and that you can act mature and you can act not just to be um, all serious all the time, but knowing when to be mature in, in the right situations and not slanderers. You shouldn't be involved in gossip at all, not speaking ill of anybody. Remember what your grandma taught you. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all, right? You shouldn't be slave. You shouldn't be an addict to anything, to much wine, to gambling, to your phone, to anything like that. Don't be addicted to anything. And you're to teach what is good. Did you know that it is the job of every woman in this church to teach? Every woman in this church. You are teaching your kids. You are teaching other women around you. You are encouraging one another. That whole idea of iron sharpening iron isn't just for men. It, it's for, for men and women. It goes on to say that you are to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. You not only model it by example, but in life groups you have discussions about how to love your husband when he's a jerk. <laughs> how to love your children when, they don't respect, when they're not respectful. You're supposed to be able to model this one for another. And that's where Sunday morning's great, but we can't do this in Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning is all about Jesus, about your, how great you are. But then when you get into a life group or you get into a small Bible study or you get into a discipleship group, any of those, and you start having these open, honest discussions, that's where you learn how to mother better. That's how you learn how to be a better wife, a better sister, and all those things, by, by being there in a situation where you can help one another. And then you are to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and let's see, and submissive to your husband. These are the things you're modeling, and you do all these things that the word of God may not be reviled. Think about that. Why do people revile the word of God? Because Christians don't live like they're supposed to. How many times have we heard an atheist say, oh, all Christians are nothing but hypocrites, and they use that as an excuse, why not to worship the Lord? If we will model the behavior of Jesus Christ as husbands and fathers, as mothers and wives, and we put together not perfect homes, but Christian homes, where we're doing our best to, to love one another and, and, and to model this lifestyle that shows the good works one to another and good works towards the community. What, what does Matthew 5, 16 say? That, that, you, that they will see your good works and honor your Father in heaven. When they see that we love one another, we're, we're submissive to one another, we're respectful to one another, we, we treat our children right, we, we care for one another in a church, then, then they will not revile the Word of God. They'll praise the Word of God. They'll become obedient to the Word of God. And that's when you'll see people get saved and, and follow Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I'm waiting. <laughs> Lauren, we'll join you later, Lauren. Okay. So, you know, if you think about your mom and you think about all that we just read here in Proverbs 31, motherhood could really be summed up in one word, and that is sacrifice. Motherhood can be mom's sacrifice for their families, mom's sacrifice for their children, mom's sacrifice for their husbands. Moms do all the sacrificing. And I know that may sound tough, but for you, mom, but this is what I believe God has called you to do. He said, you'll see that in your case, your mom sacrificed her last name in order to be married to your dad. Your mom sacrificed her figure to carry you for nine months. <laughs> your mom sacrificed comfort to deliver you in pain. Your mom sacrificed her sleep so that you could dream big. She sacrificed advancement at work just to care for you. 
She sacrificed the thrill of personal freedom for the joys of family. She sacrificed time with her friends to spend time with you. She sacrificed money to invest in your future. She sacrificed her feelings so that you would be, feel loved. Moms sacrifice all the time. You know, there's an interesting, this is going to be a weird transition. I'm going to talk about worms for a second. There, there is a worm called the scarlet worm. And in Hebrew, it's called the toloth. And what this worm does, the female does, is she climbs up a tree and she implants her body in the bark of that tree in a tight spot. And then she clings to the wood and then she gives birth to her, her worm, the other worms, and she dies there. And her, her fluids, her bodily fluids, all leak out over the tree where she dies in order to give life. And this is what the tree looks like. This mom literally dies, sacrifices herself to give birth to her children. And you know what's interesting about that? In Psalm 22, Jesus said, I am a toloth. I am a scarlet worm, a crimson worm, just like the worm that cries out the tree. Jesus went up a tree and bled out and died to give life to us. He said, I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. Jesus described himself that way as a sacrificial mom giving birth, dying to give birth to her children. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and what? A, a sacrifice. What do moms do? Sacrifice. Moms, thank God for you because you in many ways are more like Jesus than any other example we ever see in life. Because what moms do is they point us to Jesus. The best thing a mom can ever do is point us to Jesus by her example, by her words, and by her prayers. Do you know Jesus? That's what your mom wants. That's why, that's why God gave you the mom that, that she sacrificed so that you would know the sacrifice of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to climb up that tree and bleed out and die? It's, he did it for your sins. He did it for my sins. Think of all the things that we have done wrong. We are to be punished for those sins. But Jesus didn't want us to be punished for them. He loved us so much that he died in our place. You see, God the Father had to punish sin. What kind of judge would he be if he did not punish sin? We, we read in the newspapers all the time, it's some criminal who's caught red-handed. He goes before a judge, but because of some technicality, his Miranda rights weren't read or evidence was tampered with or whatever it may be, he's let free and we want to just kill the judge because he wouldn't sentence the criminal and he let him go. What kind of judge or what about a judge who takes a bribe and says, okay, I'll let you go. We would, we would be disgusted by that. So why are we shocked when the God of the universe says, I have to punish sin. I can't just let it go. And I'm going to punish sin. And Jesus steps up and says, Father, punish me instead. I will take their place. And Jesus wasn't just one man on a cross. Because if that was the case, one man could die for one man. But infinite God took our place on the cross. So how many people could he die for? An infinite number of people. So Jesus was the sacrifice to God the Father so that the judgment, the wrath of God that should have fallen upon us fell upon him. And all he asks is that you make him the Lord of your life, that he's bought you with a price. 
He bought you with his precious blood. And he, but he's not going to force his love upon you. He's going to give you the choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You can choose Jesus Christ or you can reject him. I would like for everyone in the room and even those watching online just to bow your heads and close your eyes and please pray that God would open hearts and the Holy Spirit of God would move upon people. And if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you've, you've not been born again into the family of God, you've not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you can do so right now today. In your heart, would you cry out to the Lord? It could be a prayer something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me and for all the horrible sins I've committed. Thank you for taking my punishment, my nails, the crown on your head should have been for me. Thank you for taking my place. I believe that you died for me and for all my sins. I believe you, buried, you were buried and that you rose again the third day to live forever so I could live forever with you. I give my life to you right now because you gave your life for me. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. If you made that decision, man, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to help you take your next step as a new child of God. This is my cell phone number. Please call me or text me anytime today and let me know about your decision. Hey, we have lots of guests in the house today. Let's give our guests a hand for being here today. We have either a t-shirt or some other gift for you in the back if you didn't get one already. If you're a mom and you came in late and didn't get the gift, make sure you get one on the way out. We want to make sure every mom gets a gift today. Hey, next Sunday is very exciting. Teenagers, um, those going into seventh grade and up uh, on older, are going, we're taking them all bowling after church next Sunday. It's $20 a kid. That includes all the pizza and all the bowling. It actually costs a little more than that, but we're just kind of subsidizing it there. And we really, really, really want our teens to bring friends. So what we've done is we've cut the price in half and the church is going to kick in to pay half for all their friends. So your friends can come for just 10 bucks. And so if you want to join us as an adult chaperone, we'll see um, some manuals over here and Charles. You two guys raise your hands. See one of these guys or Heather, raise your hand. So these three adults right here are a few of many that will be going and taking them. So if you want details on that, um, or if you're a teen, you just want to let them know that you're going. But invite your friends to join you next Sunday. Man, bring them to church, and then we'll be going to the main event over there on 45 in Webster, okay? We'll have more details for you later this week. I'm going to tell you a really cool story about our missionaries in Spain, the Caseys, okay? At Christmas time, um, you guys have been so generous in your missions giving that we gave them an extra check above and beyond their monthly support. And they used that money to help buy and remodel the new building they're in. Well, part of the remodeling process, they have a guy in their church who actually does some of that, and he actually hired some members of the church, but they also hired another guy who was not part of their church to come help them lay tile. So this guy is working every day with these Christians laying tile, and long story short, he accepted Christ as his Savior and now is part of this church. So thank you to Revolution Church. See how your giving translates into people coming to Christ. And you will see, think about that. In heaven someday, you know, after you've been there for 5,000 years, some guy from Spain is going to come to say, hey, so did you go to Revolution Church? I'm the guy that laid tile. Thank you for giving. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your generosity. So uh, I'm not just playing with that. That's really the way God works. So thank you for being a giving church. Here's ways you can give. You can give online. You can even see details for Bob. Bob's our treasurer. Becca, raise your hand, Bob. So right here in the middle. Um, so see him if you need to know how to set up automatic giving or however you want to do that. Um, 
I want to, in the next couple weeks, schedule time to talk to everybody in our church. If you haven't had your conversation with me yet, uh, I'm not going to grill you. I'm not going to, I just want to hear what God's doing in your life and, and pray with you. So schedule, you can even do it now on your phone. It won't bother me if you want to schedule a time to talk sometime during this week. Just give me a couple options, like you know, maybe Thursday afternoons or Friday afternoons, and let me know. Um, thank the Lord we haven't had any instances of COVID in our church in a long time. And so we're going to continue to be safe and practice that. If during this week you get sick or you get exposed to someone with COVID, don't come next Sunday. Just watch online. Um, if you get tested positive this week, please let me know because that means we will not have in-person services. But hopefully keep prayers going that we will be able to continue to do that. Um, we still need a few more helpers to help out in preschool. You don't have to have a kid in preschool to help in preschool. Um, and we want to expand our children's ministry more back to where it was before COVID gradually. And so if you want to volunteer once a month or once every other month, you can contact my wife, Tammy. She's back there with the kids right now. Um, join a life group this week. We, this past week at uh, Dement's house, I think we had 17 adults and a whole bunch of kids. We had a really good turnout at that one. And, uh, it was a lot of people. It was a good turnout. A lot of new people, and it's really good. So more and more people in our church are joining life groups. And let me just encourage you to pray about starting a life group. It's not as hard as you may think, so let me know. All right, we're going to do question and answer, and Sophia's going to come up and help me again. Give Sophia a hand. Let her know we appreciate her doing that. Um, Okay, I'm going to let you read that first one as an announcement, and then we'll do the question. For all the mothers, especially those with little babies or babies on the way. Oh. No problem. All right, just say it loudly. Okay. For all the mothers, especially those with little babies or babies on the way, there is a table full of stuffed animals for you to take, a couple or three. These belong to Susan Wart, who we lost last year. Okay, so those back there on the table, just help yourself, one, two, or three. Moms, take them to give to your kids, okay? Thank you, Patrick, for thinking of that. All right, question and answer. Yeah, read the whole thing. It's long, but okay. it's worth it. <laughs> okay. Um, last week during question and answer, you mentioned that everyone has an appointed time to die. The only expectations in the Bible were Enoch and Elijah. How does this fit with the bodily rapture where people are lifted up bodily like Enoch and Elijah? Wouldn't it be logical that the mechanics of the rapture would be death? Um, a quick one and painless one that leaves our bodies behind like everybody else and our spirits are lifted. What makes the millions of believers at the time special enough to avoid death? Great question. So last week we talked about how everyone has to die and that we therefore thought, well, okay, well, Enoch and Elijah didn't actually die. So they would logically possibly be the two prophets during the tribulation because those two prophets do die. And that makes everybody makes their appointment. So again, speculation there. So, but, but the question here is, there's two questions. One is, what about those two guys? Though? Don't they have to keep their, their appointment? Or what about all those who are, well, you're right about that part. But also, what about all those who are raptured? Do they not die? Well, death means separation. So the body and the soul separate. So if, let's say Jesus came after lunch today. Cause, and wouldn't that be awesome? Your last meal is Mexican food and then you go to heaven. That would be awesome. Okay? So you're walking out to the parking lot and the trumpet sounds. Guess what? Your body, 
this physical body separates from your spirit and your new body automatically meets you in the air and you're glorified like Jesus. Because 1 John says that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. When you see the returning Jesus, then you discard this body. So that is your death, technically. So yes, you're right. We got a painless death. Uh, we, got, we were fortunate in that regard. Uh, and so we are transferred. So you don't miss the death appointment. It's just quick exchange. It's dead new body, boom, like that. Okay, where everybody else is, loses their body and has to wait for whatever amount of time for a new body. Although you could go with the theory that when we go into eternity, we have no concept of time. So that's deeper than I want to go into right now. Second question is what makes everybody today, let's say that the rapture happens, say what makes everybody who's all the believers who are alive today so special that we get to avoid that? It's the same thing. What makes those believers in the first century, they actually got to live and see, with, see Jesus. You know, God has appointed the days and times and where we would live for all different reasons. So uh, God just must love us more than everybody else, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Um, is that another question? All right, good for you. The concept of an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is often used as a guideline for punishing wrongdoing or for staying angry with someone who sinned against another. Does this concept apply to all punishment or only for false accusers? Man, that, that's a great question. So here's what we have to distinguish, okay, is between litigation and personal relationships. Litigation and personal relationships. When... So eye for an eye is just basically saying you don't punish someone more than what they deserve. It's equal punishment. You don't do less, you don't do more. You know the story of Les Miserables. Jean, whatever, Jean Valjean, he steals a loaf of bread just to feed his little sister. He does hard labor for how many years? That's not eye for an eye. Okay, it's, the punishment should meet the crime. And think about it. Up until this point, the barbaric world is like, you steal from me, I'm going to kill you. There was no equal punishment fitting the crime. Moses, through God's Holy Spirit, introduced equal punishment for the crime. And it's not trying to be brutal, okay? It's just trying to say, let's make sure you don't kill someone just because they stole a loaf of bread. So that's where it is. But in interpersonal relationships, Jesus said to do what? If someone smites you on one cheek, what do you do? Turn the other. And that phrase doesn't just mean say, hey, here, hit me here. It means when you go to hug them, and in, in, in the Middle Eastern culture, to this day, they still, what, kiss on each cheek. So you go to embrace somebody, and they smack you, and you're like, okay, let's try this again. <laughs> you're still going to embrace them. That's what turn the other cheek means. It doesn't mean, okay, now hit me here, okay? I just, I'll be a, a doormat for Jesus. Just abuse me. That's not what it's talking about. So here's how that's possible, that you can do what Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and still follow litigation for example, if someone was to harm your child, okay, you could go to court, testify against them, and they go to jail for 25 years, and there's nothing wrong with that. They could look at you and say, hey, turn the other cheek. No, so no. What does Proverbs 9, I mean, Romans 9 say? The government is here to punish evildoers. The government does that. But I can go visit you in jail and say, hey, I forgive you. And both, there's no conflict there whatsoever. That's why in the olden days, before, before the United States became a country, in England, lawsuits would be Jones versus Smith. But in the United States, we said, no, no, that's not the way it is. We looked at the Bible and said, who's supposed to punish evildoers? The state is. So now, in, now what you'll see is the state of Texas versus Jones. And that way, it's out of my hands. I, I can say, I forgive you. 
The state's going to punish you. I don't punish you. So think about this. How, the second part is not to hold a grudge or forgive. I can totally forgive somebody, but it's not, and I, and I do not punish them. When you forgive somebody, you don't punish them. You say, oh, I'm not going to talk to her. I'm going to go the other way. Or, I, or when they get in the car, say, ha, ha, see, you had it coming. I don't wish ill on them. Whatever the state does to them, it should be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It should be, in other words, it should be equal to what they did wrong. And that's not, it's not my job to punish them. Anyway, great question. Next one. Is music a form of healing? A form of healing? Music can be used for healing. So if we said literally music is a form of healing, then that means every time you listen to a song, you should be healed. Music can be used for healing. Um, I think about when we read the Psalms, we're actually reading songs. And you talk about healing there, that's for sure. And, and so I guess if you, the scripture can be used for healing. And then when you got scripture set to music, man, that's pretty cool. And that's interesting that in Colossians it says that we're supposed to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you sing songs that are based on the word of God, that's the best kind. So to, because I'm so literal, music is not healing, but music is a tool that can be used for healing, if that makes sense, especially if it's a, a very biblical song. I hope that's what they intended by the question, but go ahead. When somebody dies, does their soul go straight to, into heaven or hell in a snap, or does your soul linger around for a while? Good question. Um, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, like that, okay? Uh, that could bring up another question that they're not asking, but I'll answer it anyway, is when is someone actually dead? If someone's heart stops beating, are they dead? No. I mean, you can do this and bring them back. I think it's safe to say that when brain waves stop, you're dead. In fact, brain waves can be flat and they can keep your heart going artificially. And that's what we would call vegetable because they're not there anymore. Heartbeat does not mean life. Brain waves, I think scientifically, and I could even make a case biblically, mean life. Um, so when, the moment your brain waves stop, you are either eternity with God or you're in eternity with hell, in hell. So the rich man and Lazarus, it said they both died and um, Lazarus went to be with the Lord in Abraham's bosom anyway. That was a temporary holding spot for believers. But the, other, the dead man immediately went to hell and he was crying out that, you know, for a drop of water on his tongue, please send someone to go tell my brothers, all that. That happened immediately. It didn't happen after judgment day, okay? So now everybody who's dead, their bodies are still in the graves because no resurrections have happened yet, right? And there's how many resurrections? The Bible says there's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the unjust and the resurrection of the saved, okay? And we want to be part of the resurrection of the saved. So when you are, here's, what's the, here's what I want to sink in everybody's head. So let's say jo, John Doe died yesterday and he didn't know Jesus. He immediately went to hell in his spirit. And he suffer, he's suffering right now in his spirit. Because the worst type of suffering is emotional suffering. I mean, you can hurt my body, I can go through it, but you break my heart, that hurts worse, right? So right now, John Doe is in hell suffering, okay? And then, at the, judge, at the great white throne, Jesus resurrects all the dead. So John Doe actually gets out of hell for a while and is back in his body. And he stands before Jesus and is judged for all the things he's ever done because he didn't trust in what Jesus did. So now he's going to be judged on what he did. And guess what? How many people passed that judgment? Zero. 
And so now body and soul are cast into hell. So after he'd been there for hundreds of years or whatever number of years, now he's cast back in. You say, man, that's just hard. That's hard to comprehend. It is. Hell is meant to be incomprehensible. But you know what's more incomprehensible? The love of Christ. That's why God wants us to go and tell because he doesn't want anybody to go there. Jesus, didn't, Jesus says, I didn't create hell for you. I created hell for the devil and his angels. I don't know which chapter in Matthew it is, but it's there. He created it for them. But when we follow the devil and his angels, we're choosing to go there because we're rejecting the greatest gift ever, ever known to mankind. All right, long answer, but go ahead. <laughs> um, what are all the names of Jesus Christ? Wow, I don't know all of them. Um, the most common name he called himself was the Son of Man. Okay, what did someone say? I just said there's, there's even a name that none of us know that only he knows. Yeah, man, that's excellent. Good point, good point. So um, we start off, I'll just give you a few, but the angel said you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we got Emmanuel, we got Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. It just means Jesus the Messiah, okay? Um, Jesus is the Greek version of, of Yeshua, which is like Joshua, okay? So Joshua and Jesus are really the same names. One, one, one's the Hebrew version, one is the, the, the Greek version. In, in, anyway, um, yeah, Hebrew, yeah, good. And so um, he is the great I am. He is the I am the bread of life. You can look up all this. He's, there's seven I am's in the New Testament. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the great shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I can't name all seven, but you can look them up. I am the first and last, the Alpha and Omega. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, Jehovah says, I am the first and the last. And in Revelation, Jesus says, I am the first and the last. You can't have two firsts and two lasts. So either Jesus is Jehovah or he's not, okay? So like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups don't believe Jesus is God, but Jesus claims to be the first and the last equal to Jehovah God because he is Jehovah. So, yeah, I would do a Google search on all the names of Jesus. It would get a much better list than what I just gave you. Um, what are all the names of the apostles? We got this one already. Okay, you want to help me here? So there's James the Less, James the Greater, Andrew, Thaddeus, who? John, Peter, Matthew, Judas. Two Judases, thank you. Matthias is the replacement, right? James, we said two James. Who are we missing here? Thomas, Thomas Doubting Thomas, right? Two more. And, did we say Andrew? We said Andrew? Philip, we didn't do Philip. One more. Paul was later. We already said Peter, right? Did we say Peter? Oh, Peter's 12. There we go. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. <laughs> Oh, that's all the questions. All right. So, um, band, right? All right, y'all come on up. All right, everybody stand. Lean over to your mom, give her a kiss on the cheek, and say Happy Mother's Day. And let's uh, stand and, and let's praise the Lord for a great day.